You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas, a licensed land surveyor and an attorney. Um, welcome to the show today. Uh, we have a guest I'll introduce here in just a minute. Uh, but as usual, I um, encourage uh, the listeners to um, to send in their questions and comments. Um, uh, email them to Jeff at AmericasWebRadio.com. And uh, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to hear what your comments are about the show. And I'd like to hear any questions you have about surveying. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about uh, surveying, all things surveying. And I have a guest with me today. Uh, my guest is uh, Ryan Swingley. Uh, Ryan graduated from Vincennes University uh, with an AS in surveying technology in 1999 and gained licensure to practice as a registered land surveyor in the state of Indiana in 2005. He is also licensed as a professional surveyor in Colorado, Pennsylvania, and Kentucky. Ryan is currently the geomatics manager for ESP and Associates in their Indianapolis office where he primarily focuses on mobile LIDAR acquisition, processing, and mapping. Mr. Swingley is also an adjunct instructor at Vincent's University, where he teaches a laser scanning class every fall semester. Ryan has served the Indiana Society of Professional Land Surveyors in many capacities since entering the profession. Most notably, he served as the president of the society in 2018 and is the current treasurer for the pursue of career in land surveying. He has spoken to hundreds of prospective students over the years by teaching the Surveying Merit Badge uh, to the Boy Scouts, attending career fairs, and speaking in classrooms ranging from kindergarten to 12th grade. Ryan is a brand ambassador to the Get Kids Into Surveying program, which uses age-appropriate materials such as posters and comic books to spark interest in this great profession. Um, Ryan, thank you for being on the show today, and uh, and welcome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Tell us, uh, just to get us started, uh, Ryan, just tell us a little bit about uh, your background and what you are doing now uh, professionally, and uh, uh, we'll get into the uh, Get Kids and Surveying program here uh, just in just a little bit, but tell us, give us a little bit of background on Ryan Swingley. Okay. Um so I grew up in a, in a pretty small town called Selma, Indiana, about 1,000 people. I'm going way back, so about 1,000 people. Um, my graduating class was like 69 kids, so I came from a pretty small, small town. Um, I'd always expressed a lot of interest in drawing and architecture and things like that, and I really got into what really kind of sparked my interest in, in, in this profession was um, I got into drafting classes in high school, and this was board drafting um my senior year of high school i got to do a little bit of autocad that was autocad release 11 with the dos with the digitizer board i'm sure you remember those days oh yeah and and um in my junior and senior year in high school i took a a job for a local construction company that did um dirt work curbs and concrete utility installs stuff like that a lot of subdivision type work uh, so they were a construction company, so I did quantity estimation for them. And uh, through that, I got to see a lot of land surveying plans and engineers' plans. So 
So I decided I wanted to be a civil engineer, started at Vincennes University, and I, chemistry was not my uh, was not my friend. So um, quickly switched over. I thought, well, well that's, that's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> so I... Uh, I switched over. I, I, Vincent had a surveying program, luckily, and, and I, I can remember those subdivision plans with surveyor stamps, and and it uh, seemed similar to me, so I thought, well, I'll give this a shot, and and it really was a great fit for me, and I kind of, like one of the stories I always tell when I go in and talk to kids is, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have cell phones, um, as we were driving down the road, we didn't have any way to entertain ourselves but look out the window. And I was always fascinated, like high, high tension utility lines that cross the road. I was always fascinated, like at that very moment when you'd cross those lines and you would see them line, perfectly line up for miles and miles and miles. So I always just, even before I even knew what surveying was, I'd always, you know, anticipate that moment. So, um, you know, I like to win things line, and my wife always makes fun of me because I'm lining stuff up with my eyes all the time. Oh, yeah, that's called, the survey, that's called the surveyor <laughs> eyeball. I mean, you know, you can't walk down the sidewalk without glancing over and seeing, you know, if you can figure out where the property line is, right? Right, right. So uh, all the time I'll be, she'll be talking to me, and I'm winking at something. She's like, are you trying to line things up with your eyes? I'm like, yeah. So, so I don't know. I guess, it's, <laughs> I guess surveying's, you know, maybe, um, you know, what I was meant to do. So, in 99, I graduated uh, from the Vincennes University program uh, with an associate's degree, uh, entered the workforce, um, did a lot of, while I was in school, I worked for a small surveying company in Vincennes, did a lot of boundary surveying, um, you know, typical small town stuff, and then uh, moved to Indianapolis after graduation because I was chasing the money. And uh, ended up doing a lot of route surveying and topographic surveys for, you know, Indiana Department of Transportation. Mm-hmm. Bounced around a few different companies. Uh, landed with a company that I, I really liked. It's been about eight years there called USI Consultants. And uh, and really, that's kind of, I think, where I, in, in 2000, when the 2007 crash hit, it really didn't kind of affect us until probably around 2000, early 2010, um, just because the DOT work, you know, that things were still going. You know, private development right. all fell off, but DOT stuff was still going. When I started working at USI in 2002, we had 12 survey crews, and when I left there in 2008, we had two one-man survey crews. So that's how bad it, it kind of hit us over that time. But... Uh, during that time, I started looking at ways to implement technology to overcome some of our manpower issues, and that led me down the path of looking into LIDAR. Uh-huh. Um, I certainly was no LIDAR expert at the time, but um, I was approached by a Trimble dealer uh, in Indianapolis that was going to buy a mobile LIDAR system, and I'd kind of had a knack for figuring things out, and and uh, they decided they wanted to take a chance on me, and I wanted to take a chance on them and get my hands on, you know, a three-quarter million-dollar mobile mapping system. And so I spent a couple of years at Siler Instrument um, doing, I guess, what I would call technical support. Or I wasn't quite a salesman. I was more, you know, doing the you showing off the technical hardware, and um, and really 
found a love for mobile LIDAR, um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Spent a couple years at Siler Instruments, um, ended up coming to ESP and starting our Indianapolis office here where we focus primarily on mobile LIDAR for surveying engineering clients. Um, so that, for the last 10 years, is where my primary focus has been, so it's been definitely an interesting run. Yeah, it sounds interesting. For those uh, who maybe don't understand what LIDAR is, can you give us, uh, you know, kind of the uh, the basic uh, understanding of what you what you mean when you're talking about LIDAR? Sure. So, uh, I mean, the easiest way to tell, like maybe lay people, is if they're familiar with what the Google Street View car is. Um, that's kind of kind of the probably similar to what our hardware is like, but LIDAR itself is a is a pulse of invisible light that goes out, strikes a surface, and a certain percentage of that light comes back to the source, and we can map. So we map the horizontal vertical angle which that light was emitted and when it comes back to us. So then from, and we do that millions of times per second. So what we can do, um, I always try to explain to kids, maybe if they're in art class, if they're in familiar with what stippling is. Stippling is the way to draw a picture by a series of dots instead of lines. Right, just right. Mm-hmm. A bunch of dots. And that's what LIDAR looks like. It looks like a stippling picture. So it's like a three-dimensional <clears throat> picture um, of anything we can see as we drive drive the vehicle through a scene. Um, we can see all the way down to branches on trees. So it's a three-dimensional yeah. picture of millions and millions and millions of points. Well, those, those have to be huge files. I mean, uh, how do you... How do you store and um, manipulate the, all that all that data? Yeah, so um, you know, we just implemented another. We have 200 terabytes of storage space on site here at our office, um, and I have a a very very robust desktop computer. It's a it's what would be considered a gaming computer, so to speak, because we need pretty decked out graphics cards and things like that right. um, to handle the data. So, but the software does a really good job of, of processing things in a timely manner, and and uh, so yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Hey, I wanted to back up just a little bit. Um, so, uh, you're licensed, and you first got licensed in Indiana. Uh, then you went Colorado, Pennsylvania, Kentucky. What what what's the process of uh, getting licensed in in other states? Once you once you've been licensed in one state, sure. So, um, well, my my process in Indiana was, you know, I, at the time that I got my licensure in Indiana, you had to have a you didn't have to have an associate's degree, but you had to have certain. Um, educational, college education in surveying classes, science classes, mm-hmm. and math classes. And then I had to work under the direct supervision of a licensed land surveyor for seven years. Uh, I think since then, that process has been, you can have an associate's degree with the same credit hours and do six years of, of um, direct supervision under a licensed land surveyor. Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, uh, I can remember... You know, when I took the Indiana exam, they only offered the test twice a year, and you would fill in, fill out paper applications, and you'd wait six months to find out if you're going to take the test, and then you'd wait another three months to find out if you're, you know, to get to take the test, and then you'd wait another three months for the results of the test. So it was definitely a long, drawn-out process. 
And this last year, I decided that I was going to try to expand, you know, my license portfolio into other states. Mm-hmm. And Colorado was my first one, and it was a stark contrast to, to what I experienced before. Um, you know, in the digital age now, with the NCES, WES record set up, you know, I sent them that record. Like two days after I sent my application in, I found out that I was approved to take the test. And they asked me, they asked me where I wanted to take the test, and there was a testing facility in Indianapolis, and I, you know, I, I set it out for a month in advance, studied, and went and took the test, and and literally knew that I had passed the the moment I walked out of the room. Uh, they, they gave me my test results, and two days later I had a, a stamp and a license number, so um, substantially different than than what Indiana was at the time. Um, Pennsylvania was not quite as streamlined uh, as that. I had to actually go to Pennsylvania to take that test. Um, And then Kentucky, uh, Kentucky just has you, you know, read, you know, verify that you've read their laws, and then they'll they'll issue a license after you pay your fee. So no testing requirements for reciprocity in Kentucky right now. So that was kind of unique. Jeff, yeah, we, um, that, Jeff, that, that we need to uh, uh, Jeff, we need to stop there and uh, take our first break. We'll be back with Jeff Lucas and the uh, land surveying hour on America's Web Radio right after this. Whether cruising the strip in a '57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a '71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. You need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. And I want to remind everybody, Quick Stakes, Parker Davis, they are open and you can get ready for business is coming back. I don't know if uh, Jeff totally agrees with me, but uh, I I know with the uh, problems that we've had in the southeast, there's going to be a lot of work for surveyors to do. And uh, that's going to be true across the country. It's been backing up and backing up. So be sure that you have a supply of markers and quick stakes. Give Parker Davis a call. They are quick stakes. And it's 800-438-0387. And they'll take care of you. And... uh, You'll be glad that you stocked up and you were ready to go. You don't have to wait for a shipment to come in or anything else. You just start working. And the work is there, and it will be coming towards you very shortly. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. 
want to remind everybody, too, there are a lot of surveyors that listen to this show that are veterans and are active duty and are military and first uh, responders and so forth and want want to make sure that everybody knows and if you know a first responder or someone that is reopening a business that had to close because of the virus you know it's uh, one of those things advertise and they will come but you have to tell folks that you're reopened so be sure if you're a small business a veteran business or whatever the case might be we will give you free advertising on America's Web Radio. All you have to do is contact GM at America's Web Radio. No strings attached. We are heard all over the country and internationally as well. But for the businesses that are local to an area, we guarantee that we have listeners there. So we will advertise your reopening for nothing on America's Web Radio. And with that being said, we're going to get back to uh, Jeff and You're his guest right America's after this. America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. Uh, this is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. And uh, I'm your host, Jeff Lucas, uh, professional land surveyor and attorney at law and uh, i have a guest with me here today ryan swingley uh indiana surveyor also licensed in colorado pennsylvania and kentucky and uh we had stopped right about there uh ryan before the break and i I just wanted to get your personal thoughts on a couple things um now you you described uh, going in uh, and having to take a test in Colorado and taking a test in Pennsylvania, and then you went to Kentucky, and it was basically an application uh, form. What what kind of tests did you have to take in Colorado and Pennsylvania? So it's, you know, it's the state-specific portion. Since obviously I passed the, the federal exam um, when I took my Indiana license, I had just proved that I meet their educational requirements, and then take their state-specific portion. I think that's it's been a while since I've taken the, the state test in Indiana, but I think it was like a six-hour federal test and then a two-hour state test. Yeah, so there's like a national, isn't that at the NCEES test? Or is that yeah, that's that correct. Out? Yeah, so there's like a national test. You take once, but then when you go to other states, it's a process of, of taking a state-specific test, except for Kentucky, which is unusual because I was um, I remember when that when that came out uh, uh, the, that the governor had decided that um, he was going to uh, loosen the regulation on some uh, loosen regulation on certain specific uh, uh, professions uh, like surveying and possibly engineering and uh, it would just become an application process which I don't know if you know this or not that's all the that's all that it is generally speaking for for civil engineers, just you, you pass the civil engineer exam in one state, and it's just an application process to get um, uh, licensed in other states. Uh, I mean, I worked for a guy who had 35 engineering licenses, and I asked him, uh, "Hey, David, you know how uh, <clears throat> you've, you've sat for 35 exams?" He said, <laughs> "He said no, it's just an application." So, uh, what do you think? I mean, what do you think about this this idea that surveyors you know, um, can't just can't 
you know, it, it's sort of a monopoly. Well, it is a monopoly. I mean, you, you, why, why isn't it set up where, sir, uh, if you're passing examination, that two-day examination, the, the national exam, the state-specific in Indiana, I mean, is, um, is practicing in Illinois or Missouri or um, Michigan much, much different, or, or let's just say Colorado, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, how much difference is there? Uh, in, in their practice versus uh, practicing in Indiana? Uh, well, so, I mean, two of the states, Pennsylvania and Kentucky, are meets and bounds states. Colorado and Indiana are public land survey system states. Uh, so there would be, you know, substantial difference in practicing boundary surveying in either of those states. For me, mm-hmm. the only, my, my only real motivation to get licensed in those other states is to perform mobile LIDAR topographic surveys. So um, to me, topographic surveying, uh, it really doesn't change as you change, you know, cross borders, right? Topographic surveying right. from state to state is, is obviously Colorado is a little bit more mountainous, but, you know, we're, we're really just mapping where the water flows to. So that, that doesn't really, you know, that transcends state boundaries in my opinion. So, um but as far as the boundary surveying aspect goes, I think it's it's certainly challenging. There's always local laws. I mean, Colorado has very substantial laws on uh, on how you record and report monumentations found or set. But this is so right. much different than the state of Indiana. So, you know, if you're going to have those local differences, then you're going to have to have localized licenses, in my opinion. But I think there's there's arguments that could be made for a national licensure where maybe you're not performing boundary type surveying but you're doing topographic construction staking maybe machine control stuff things like that that i think would make some sense to have a national based license what are your well, thoughts what about on that? Re- yeah well um my thoughts are you could you could certainly uh break licensure up even boundary surveying you could you could break up uh licensure into regions i mean I'm licensed here in the southeast. I've got, um, you know, Alabama, Florida, and Mississippi, and there's not, there's, there's hardly any difference uh, in, in the practice of, of land. We're all, all three of those are public land survey states. They're eastern states that were surveyed early during the uh, public land survey program. Uh, and there's not a, um, uh, there's, there's, there's hardly any difference. Uh, maybe a few localized laws. Uh, but uh, one license for those three states, or or just easing the entry requirement. I'm gonna pass. I passed the survey first survey exam in, in Florida. Okay, and I could it, it could have easily just been a um, you know pay the fee to the Alabama board, um, make an application, pay the fee. That's what it's all about. And final analysis is about the money, and issue me a license for Alabama. And the same thing in Mississippi. And I'm also licensed in Tennessee and Georgia. You, you could just about do the same thing there too. And I've, 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 I'm pretty from I've, I've been to Indiana, Indiana a lot, and I've been to Illinois a lot, talking to surveyors, going to conferences. But I imagine you could lump Indiana, uh, Illinois, Missouri. Uh, Missouri and Illinois were surveyed under the same uh, surveyor general. You know, the public land surveys were done under the sun, same surveyor general. They had the same. Um, uh, manual of instructions, uh, the 1856 instructions. 
And you could probably lump a couple more states in there, too, and have a regional Midwest license. I mean, do, do you see that, or, or do you think that that's not feasible? I, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, you know, in Indiana, we're required to do a surveyor's report uh, to explain how we resolved our boundaries. Illinois, I don't believe, has to do that. I don't even think Illinois, they have to do a platinum or a, a drawing and provide to the client necessarily. I'm not I'm not an expert in Illinois law for sure, but I do have some colleagues over in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think you could probably, there could probably be a ethical clause in any licensure that say you have to familiarize yourself with local ordinances and laws if you're going to practice in that area, right? I mean, that's uh, we're oh, yeah. professionals. I mean, you, you, and, you, you've got you to follow what the law says, the statute says. But, that's, and, and that's, just, but that's what I'm know, saying is a, like that. That's what I'm saying is like the, an ethical clause could, could make up for some of those localized issues, you know, that you have to familiarize yourself. If you're going to have a regional license, there may not be, you know, Illinois may not concede and say, no, we don't want to write surveyors reports, but or Indiana is not going to concede and say you have to do that. Um, so you would have to be, it'd be your responsibility to familiarize yourself with that localized law to make sure you're compliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, like uh, here, uh, and you're familiar with corner record reports, right? Y'all do something similar to that in Indiana, right? No, not really. I mean, so corners are all maintained by county surveyors in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we have to we have to address on our surveyors report what corners we found, what we held. I always try to put in a little bit of information about the history of that corner, what I know. Um, but right. we don't have a. It's like corner record reports to be something similar to what Colorado has, where you have to, right. every moment you find, you got to do an individual report on it and submit it. Is that what you guys have to right. do? Uh, no, not in Alabama and Mississippi. You do in Florida. but uh, I, I, And I know out west there's a lot of corner record reports, and there's filing of surveys. But, I mean, these, these are just little technical issues that shouldn't, uh, sh- I mean, there's gonna, if you're a civil engineer and you, you get licensed in Indiana and then you go pay the application in other states and become a civil engineer, I mean, you're going to face a lot more local, and you go practice in these other states, you're going to face a lot more local municipal codes, uh, design codes, than the surveyor uh, would, would face um, relative to the filing of corner record reports, whether they're filed or not or the filing of surveys, whether they get filed or not, and uh, and, and a surveyor's report. I mean, I, I know you all have a, a specific requirement for a surveyor's report, but, you know, everywhere I've pra- I practice and when I talk to surveyors about doing surveying, you know, uh, the, the more information you put on your map, whether it's a formal separate report or not, I mean, you know, I, I encourage surveyors to put basically a report on every on every draw because, you sure. uh, when somebody gets your survey, uh, you know, uh, gets a copy of your survey somehow, however they might do that, whether it gets recorded down at the, uh, the, the recording office or they just get a copy of it, uh, I, I, it, you know, you need an explanation on there as, you know, why you're holding this corner or not hold, why you're holding this particular monument or why you're not holding that particular monument. And maybe even uh, the, the theory you're working on relative to, you know, boundary location. Uh, you know, original uh, the doctrine of monuments. Uh, these were original monuments set by the original subdividing surveyor, and even though the the the, the geometry on the plat doesn't doesn't match it, I'm holding the monuments because they're the 
you know, original monuments, you know, that, that kind of thing. How would you foresee policing, so to, I guess for lack of better terms, um, you know, infractions Police, or... Policing? <laughs> Maybe that's a bad term, but... No, no, that's you know, a good term. Ar- no, I just wanted to well, make you know, sure I heard what you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you? How would you foresee if there was a regional style license? How would you foresee uh, the board of registration operating for? Would there still be a board of registration in every individual state that, that I takes imagine complaints? Yeah, okay. uh, they would take complaints, and you would be under their jurisdiction, um, and they would have subpoena power. They they all they all basically now have subpoena power. You know, there was a time in in the profession um, that I can remember when I first got licensed back in the uh, in the eighties, where um, there was uh, some of the boards around the country, and I think Florida in particular, they didn't have subpoena power. So the only people they had power over were the licensees. So somebody could go out there and uh, from another state come in and survey, and they they couldn't they couldn't get jurisdiction over that person to you know prosecute them. But I think that's pretty much been. I mean, there was a time when that was the case in some states, but uh, I think pretty mm-hmm. much now every state board has subpoena power, and because you're and, and so they can, if you're unlicensed and you and you go in there, if I'm unlicensed in Indiana and I go up and survey in Indiana, they can they can grab me down here in Alabama, then with a subpoena, and uh, I'll uh, I'll have to come to Indiana and and you know. And, and face the music, or else uh, get a, get a judgment against me. Which one day, I guess they'd find me, and uh, you know, or, or the Alabama board would find me probably at that point in time, and uh, and, and discipline me for not you know listening to you know, you know not um, responding to the Indiana subpoena. So that's how they would do it. Sure, it's just a money. It's just a money issue. I mean, it really, when in the final analysis, it's just it's really a money issue. And these, all these different boards. I guess we've gotten we've gotten on a little pet peeve of mine. All these different boards have <laughs> have these little monopolies, okay, all across the country. Why can't it be almost not maybe exactly the same process as the civil engineers, where it's just an application, or with Kentucky, where it's just an application? But certain, uh, but um, uh, maybe. You know, make it streamlining the process a little bit, or regional licenses. My, my license in Alabama is good in Mississippi. It's good in Florida. My license in Georgia is good on the East Coast of the United States, or maybe not all the way up the East Coast. But um, because that's that's one of the issues we have is, as you know, we'll, we're going to talk about here in a little bit is the future of surveying. I mean, we. Our numbers are dwindling, and instead of instead of promoting free trade, all of these little kingdoms in Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Indiana, Illinois, called boards of licensure, boards of registration, all these little kingdoms have their little monopolies, and they um, they're, they're actually restraining trade. Right. Well, how do you just for a for point of uh, discussion? How do you? I mean, every state has their own educational requirements to get the licensure. I mean, what do you see um, happening there? I mean, like for example, I have an associate's degree 
Uh, and Indiana says that that's acceptable. Obviously, the other states have license and say that's acceptable. But I can't get licensed in Ohio, Michigan, or Illinois, all the surrounding states, because I don't have a bachelor's degree. But yet, I've been doing this for, what, 22 years, 23 years. I've consulted on million-dollar projects all over, literally all over the world. I mean, I've consulted on projects in England and Australia, but yet I can't work in in, in, in Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan without well, that, you know being a sub consultant or something along those lines. There, there, you know, there just has to be a fix for that, and it it could be as easy as grandfathering. Um, Jeff, we need to take a break here. Right. Okay, we'll be back with uh, Jeff and his guest right after this. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. And we want to remind everybody, if you've heard the name Nicole Sapphire, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, you're a Fox and Friends watcher, and uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire is going to be on America's Web Radio in the very near future. So listen up and uh, look at our Facebook and Twitter accounts, and you'll find out exactly when Dr. Nicole Sapphire will be on. And uh, we're going to be reviewing her new book called make america healthy again and it should be very interesting as are our other programs on america's web radio we've got the um, our kung fu master that does a show every friday that uh, is going over fantastic and we even do meditation on america's web radio for his show so stay tuned for more on america's web radio thanks for listening Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. This is um, America's Web Radio, and you are listening to the Surveyor's Hour. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas, a professional land surveyor and uh, an attorney at law. And my guest with me here today is a friend and colleague, Ryan Swingley. Uh, Indiana land surveyor, also licensed in Colorado, Pennsylvania, and Kentucky. And we were getting into, before the break, <clears throat> Ryan, we were kind of getting into the discussion about uh, sort of the future of surveying, uh, our numbers, um, and where where new surveyors are coming from. And uh, that was actually the topic uh, today, Is and one of the things I was interested in getting you to come on and talk about is uh, I'd like you to talk a little bit about um, your work uh, with the uh, Indiana Society of Professional Surveyors, and it seems like that's linked into 
this Get Kids Into Surveying program that you're also working with. Can you discuss that, uh, those issues a little bit for us? Sure. Um, so I've been involved with uh, the Indiana Society of Professional Land Surveyors, or ISPLS, probably since I moved to Indianapolis. Um, you know, just even when I was just a party chief, I was starting to attend meetings and things like that. So um, I knew it was important for me to give back. Like I said, I, I love this profession, and I want to give back to it in any way I possibly can. So um, through my involvement with ISPLS, I served on many committees, became the chair of our height modernization committee for several years, um, was a chapter president, and after I got my, you know, I think it was, I'm trying to think when it was, 2006, maybe about a year after I got licensure, um, I decided to run for the, the board of directors at the state level. And that really got me involved in, you know, bigger issues in surveying. And, and you know, we started talking about, I'm trying to, date-wise, I'm trying to think about, you know, when we started getting involved with Boy Scouts. But that was probably my first my first directive to get involved with Boy Scouts, um, a colleague of mine, Mark Shepherds, and I had had decided it was important, and we kind of asked around, and everyone was like, "Oh, you'll never get you'll never get the Boy Scouts interested." You know, we've offered to give it to this this uh, troop, and and they've never taken us up on it. Well, it's like, well, there's got to be a different approach there. So we're fortunate enough, you know, where where I was working at the time to have a Boy Scout camp, literally a mile away from our office and we decided that we were going to install a permanent course on the boy scouts camp and then we we're just going to offer um the class the, the surveying merit badge class twice a year we never quite got to twice a year we only did it once a year typically um, but that was our goal so what we ended up doing is we ended up digging uh and setting in place i think it was five concrete monuments we got burnson to donate the brass caps that had the the Boy Scout surveying merit badge insignia on it, and our goal there was that these these monuments would be in high traffic areas, so kids would you know maybe stumble upon them and discover them, and maybe think to inquire about what that was um, to spark a little bit of interest. Um, and so we started offering it once a year, limited to ten scouts and kind of with the mentality that if you build it, they will come, and and they came. You know, we had, every time we offered it, we had a, a full um, a full class. Um, I taught it, I'm trying to think if I taught it for about four years before I just got so busy with what I was doing with the LIDAR stuff. I was traveling all over the country, and so I had to kind of step away from it for uh, a little bit of time, but we were we given it. I've probably given it at least four or five times, so that's like 40 or 50 students. But the cool thing about that was because of our involvement with the Boy Scouts, we got asked to participate in the uh, Weeblos Engineering. Um, they use belt loops, I think, or something like that, but an engineering belt loop day. And so we would come out there with equipment, and usually we'd have sometimes up to upwards of 100 kids in a given day that we'd get to speak to about surveying. So that really kind of sparked my interest about getting kids involved. And um, and um, so fast forward um, to today, there was a time I had to step away. Like I said, when I was traveling for LIDAR, I had to step away from the board. I stepped down. Um, 
And then in 2018, I decided to run for president of the society, and that kind of got me back involved again. And and right around that same time, um, I became uh, really out of sheer luck, I guess. A, a friend of mine just made me this this brand ambassador to get kids in the survey. I just one day I was opened up my Facebook and I've been added to some group and didn't really know what it was and, and started looking into it and really liked what their their message was and what they were doing and so we kind of jumped in full force on you know the, there's obviously some issues with you look at the licensed surveyors right now and I think the average age in Indiana is like somewhere around 57 years old um, and we're retiring more surveyors on a yearly basis than we're graduating out of our surveying programs so there's right. definitely uh we we've got a you know I look look back and when I graduated from Vincennes I think there were 12 students that graduated in my class which was not a lot but you know enough to kind of help meet the demand um I think since I've gotten involved in teaching down there in any given year there may be five or six kids you know a lot of the kids are going on now for their four year degree which is good so there's not as as many kids available um after a two-year degree because a good bit of them are going on but it's uh there's definitely definitely some demand that needs to be met so i got involved with uh with this program and then a colleague of mine ed sweetland and i just jumped in full force and and going into trying to get into career fairs and and speaking to kids and so that's what we've been doing the last couple years and it's been we've been busy up to the to the COVID nineteen thing kind of slowed us down quite a bit, but uh, right, yeah. So y'all basically go in and um, you, you have a little present when you go into a school and you talked about uh, age appropriate materials. You everything from kindergarten up to twelfth uh, twelfth grade. Is that what you said here? Uh, yeah, I can't find my notes. Yeah, from kindergarten to twelfth grade. I mean, um, so obviously the message is going to be different when you're talking to kindergartners or, or first grade, second grade, third grade. Then you're talking to uh, the the older the older kids. What I mean, so does do the program uh, people? They get uh, kids in surveying people. Do they have uh, material that you use? To, to yeah, so there's presentations. Yeah, so there's a series of um, they're kind of like. Are you familiar with Where's Waldo? It's kind of like yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like a Where's Waldo style poster where you know you, there's a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of uh, surveyors and cartoon style surveyors in a in a in a map scene doing different tasks and and there's the the, the posters are really designed for a teacher to take and implement that into a classroom with no outside input from the surveyor. So there's, you know, a certain teacher material that will that will um, help the teacher go through that poster and what the content is. Um, so we'll take those posters in, and they're a nice icebreaker uh, to get kids kind of interested. And then there's also, like, some coloring book stuff that's obviously geared towards younger kids that you, you can take in the classrooms. But kids are always fascinated by their gear. I think that's one of the ways that I really got involved was because I've always I've been involved with LIDAR for the last 10 years, and I've always had cool toys that I can take in to kind of you know, intrigue kids into getting interested. Um, 
but there's usually when we go into a school, there's two different styles of, of, of presenting. You'll have a career fair where you're kind of set up in a booth. There's hundreds of kids walking around, and you just got to try to attract kids to come talk to you. Uh, one of the things we've done um, to help attract kids into our booth is through a partnership with Cincinnati State University, um, we built a 3D sandbox. Are you familiar? You ever seen oh, yeah. the 3D sandbox? I've seen those. Uh, I, I don't know if, uh, if um, Cincinnati is the only school that uh, has it, but uh, I have seen them at the conferences and the exhibit halls. Yeah. So what they that's are, I cool, mean, that's a pretty cool little tool. Yeah, explain it to the audience. Yeah, so what it is is uh, it's a box of sand, uh, obviously a sandbox, and then there's a, uh, a projector above, and then uh, um, there's a sensor device that's from a, an Xbox Connect, I think. And so what that sensor does is it senses the shape of that sand, and then it reproject, reprojects onto the sand what a contour map would look like. Um, contour intervals, think, yeah. Yeah, and so obviously all of our all of our surveyor listeners understand what a contour map is, but um, for those that aren't surveyors, a contour map is uh, a way to visualize three-dimensional data on a 2D piece of paper. So it's a series of lines that show shapes and hills and valleys. And so it's a cool it's a cool tool to explain to kids what contours are and for them to visually see, you know, how they how they work. And what I've yeah. done in and some of my colleagues have done when we do this, you know, usually that sandbox attracts kids over because it looks, for, we got a tent set up to kind of limit how much light's there so we can really get good projection on the sand. So that's, you know, one thing that, what the heck, those guys got a tent set up over there. What's that all about? So they come over, right. check out check out the sandbox, and it's usually a way for us to explain the life cycle of a land surveying project. Jeff, it's from, about that time. You know, I use the, we need to take another break. Uh, yes, sir. And okay. uh, by the way, those well, we can, contours. We can come back to this point when we get back. The uh, our uh, famous army has a lot of those contour maps. As a matter of fact, we'll be back right after this. Quick stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not. Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Um, welcome back, folks. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. 
I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. I can be reached at jeff at uh, americaswebradio.com. Uh, I invite your questions. I invite your comments, questions about surveying, uh, comments about the program or anything that we've had on the program or any questions that you, you may have uh, that I can answer. I will do my best uh, to get to you uh, on our next program. And uh, But this program... Uh, again, I have uh, our, my uh, colleague and friend uh, as my guest today, Ryan Swingley, uh, Indiana surveyor, licensed in Colorado, Pennsylvania, and Kentucky as well. Um, Ryan, right before the break, we were you were explaining the uh, con- uh, what, what do you call it? A contour box or topo box? What'd you call it? Three uh, D sandbox. Three D sandbox. I was close. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, so you, the kids can visualize the surveying process from uh, raw ground to development. Then, right? Yeah. So what we we have in inside of the box, we got like you know toy dozers and and things like that, so you can kind of move the dirt around. And so like what I was, I think the what's unique about surveying is that really any physical object, physical building can somehow be tied to land surveying. So what I always go through and and I ask them if surveying has anything to do with a toothbrush. And, you know, they're like, no, of course not, blah, blah, blah. And then I talk to them about, you know, well, what if a toothbrush factory wanted to come build a site right here on this on the, in the inside of this 3D sandbox? So I take them through, you know, surveyors going to have to go through and mark the property lines where they're able to, to develop. And then I talk them through how the surveyor comes out and does a topographic survey to give that to an engineer and talk about how the surveyor does construction stake out to make sure that, uh, you know, everything's built the way it's supposed to be and then all the way through as-built, um, as-built surveying. And then, I, you know, I always trick them into saying, hey, you know, are we done there? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're totally done. I was like, well, do you go buy your toothbrush at the toothbrush factory or do you buy it at Walmart? And then the same process happens at Walmart and then the same process happens for the road that connects the toothbrush factory to Walmart. So, it's a it's it's a cool it's a very cool teaching tool that I'm really glad that our society you know stepped up and helped us pay for and I really want to thank Cincinnati State for helping us build it. Um, so it's really really pretty cool. So yeah. that takes us in. So the two different styles of of um, teaching or, or presenting to students. One is obviously the career fair where we talk about the 3D sandbox. The other is where you're just asked to come in as somewhat of a guest lecture, or maybe there's a career fair round robin where you're sitting in one classroom and kids just come around to you. Um, right. I like that style because I have a little bit more of a captive audience. You know, in the career fair, there's so much going on, you got like five minutes with the kid, and if you don't wow them on what surveying is in that five minutes, they're gone. Um, but the classroom style, you know, I usually have kids for 50 minutes, so I can really... Mm-hmm. You know, deep dive into what surveying is, what it's about. I've not taken the 3D sandbox in in those classroom functions. I usually take in a robot or a laser scanner, or um, and I have a PowerPoint presentation that will take in some of the materials from get kids into surveying, depending on what age group we're talking about. And um, and that's a that's a real good opportunity to have real interaction with kids and and spark their interest. You know, the I think the this is a marathon and not a sprint. You know, we it may be ten years before we see the fruits of our labor in Indiana from from these efforts. 
because you'll go and you may talk to, let's say if I'm in a, if I'm in a, uh, career fair style in a, in a gym, I may talk to 75 kids and I may have one that really expresses any kind of interest. And the same thing if I talk to a classroom, depending on the age level, you know, I mean, I went and spoke to some middle school kids a few weeks ago and I had like four or five kids that they're interested in a career in land surveying. The one thing I know for sure is if we don't get in front of those kids and we don't speak to those kids about what surveying is, we're going to have zero kids interested in land surveying. Right. Right. Let me ask you about the scanners that you bring in. Do you do actual scanning right there in the uh, in the in the room? Yeah, typically we do. Um, this last one, I, I scanned. I, you know, I set the kids up like it was a like I was taking their picture, and we we scanned them, and I sent it back to the teacher, and they got a they got a kick out of that. So typically, <laughs> yeah, if we can if we can show it, um, there's right. always some limitations on software and. And projectors and things like that. So we, uh, what we we do is like I have another scanner here that's not as easily viewable in the field, but uh, my old employer, Siler Instrument, has been great about loaning us any piece of gear that we want to take. So we we go grab a Trimble SX10 quite a bit because it's, the data collector's got a huge screen and they can see the data right there virtually the second you're done. So I take wow. that in a lot. But I've taken our mobile LIDAR system in. We did a presentation to 4-H students, mm-hmm. I guess it was last year. And so um, I took the, our mobile scanning system in there and let them be able to walk around. They all, they, all think, they all think it's a Google Street View car, of course, but it's cool <laughs> to let them see the hardware up close and personal. Right, right. So this um, this uh, the get sur- so that's that's tangentially associated with getting kids in, in surveying. Uh, you're, you've got these uh, other tools, other uh, other stuff that that you're using to to incorporate into that program. But uh, you mentioned early on about get kids in surveying, which I was kind of in- I've, I've known about it a little bit, and I'm kind of intrigued with it because um, I, I just uh, imagine there's a big difference between this program and this traditional TrigStar, which you're, you're familiar to a certain extent with TrigStar, right? Yeah, a little bit. So our society does TrigStar. Um, obviously, TrigStar is geared more towards high school kids. Uh, you know, there's a testing component to it. So I, mean, I think that's, what's tricky about getting kids involved is where where do you get involved with them, right? I mean, by the time right. a kid's in high school... Their career path may already be determined, so that's right. why I've spoke all the way down to kindergarten, and and you know kindergartens it's a it's definitely a trip to speak to kindergartners, um, you know, <laughs> but it's I bet amazing. It is. It's amazing how in tune they really are to their world. That's what always amazes me. You know, I hold up, you know, what I did the last time I did kindergartners, I just kind of took a, I didn't want to PowerPoint them to death, so I just took <laughs> exactly. in like pictures that were laminated that I could pass around the classroom, uh, and I had guys in safety desks and stuff like that, and, you know, automatically, they're like, oh, construction workers, so they they kind of knew what was going on, and it's 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 yeah. definitely fun. You, you ever hear of a guy named Art Linkletter? This is before your time. I've heard that name before. 
Yeah. Well, he he had a, his entire show was just was interviewing little kids. <laughs> he made uh, okay. he made a career out of interviewing little kids because they would they would say the uh, they would say the craziest things, you know, and answer sure. questions, sure. you know. Yeah, they'd do a little interview thing there, and they would answer questions. That was his that was his entire show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. kids in surveying started out with the posters, right? Yeah. So it started in. 2017, um, a gal named Elaine Ball kind of got the ball rolling. Her and her sister Elaine, or uh, Elaine and Ellie Ball, are they're kind of I don't know marketing masterminds, I guess if you will. But they have some ties to surveying. Their dad uh, was a surveyor, and he started. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with MDL, but they were a kind of a, a hardware and software solution for mining industry. They actually created um, the uh, MDL Dynascan system, which is basically the Trimble MX2 MX2 mobile LiDAR system, kind of rebranded. Trimble bought that company mm-hmm. out, I believe. I don't know all the particular details, but so they've they've had a background in surveying, and, and um, so they found this as a passion and, and have really made a go of it. And basically, companies and societies sponsor a character and that character gets put on the poster and then you get so many posters okay. to distribute you know to your members so uh we were in ispls was the first society to sponsor a character at the state level of the nsps is sponsored character ispls decided to sponsor a character we had a uh a long time board member don bingle had passed away and and I got to spend some time on the board with Don, and, and really respected him. And, and but I always called him Bengal Cat because because uh, of his last name. And so when he passed away, I was trying to think of ways to honor him. And you know we don't we have a uh, an organization that manages this. We don't really have physical space that's ours anymore. So plaques don't really work uh, like they used right. to. So. I decided, you know, we're going to create a character called Bengal Cat, and he's going to be, he, he's a, a Bengal tiger, and he's going to do some surveying tasks like Don used to. So it's been kind of fun. And, okay, about and I think uh, other 30 seconds. Step, jump on. About 30 seconds, yeah, Jeff. How much longer? We got about 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, well, let's uh, um, wrap things up here, Ryan. We got about thirty seconds. Um, anything else you'd like to uh, tell us about surveying and uh, the future of surveying? You can wrap it up here in about fifteen seconds. I mean, obviously, I think you love surveying. I love surveying. Uh, most surveyors you meet are really passionate about what they do. So I know for me, when I go to work every day, it's an adventure. It's exciting. Um, and I don't feel like it's a job. I feel like it's a it's a life, it's a way of life. And and I just you know kids out there if they if they get involved and find something they love they'll never work a day in their lives. So that's right. All right, Ryan. Thank you so much for being on the program today, Ryan. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right. All right. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.